It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Get ready for a great 2022. Think positive. That's what we need to do. Think positive for 2022 and the things that did go right in 2021. It's got a bad start from the COVID-19 perspective, but what can you do about it? I hope everybody had a... Uh, a traditional new year, and if, if you had to shut it down, don't worry, it's all temporary. This thing is going to fall off a cliff, the Omicron, and then hopefully we'll turn the page because we cannot count on anybody to help us out except ourselves and the knowledge that we have of this virus and the risks we all think we're up against. By the way, new cases up 200%. Hospitalization deaths are down four, hospitalizations up about 30 So this is not nearly as serious as what we were dealing with. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. All right, here we go. A new poll from USA Today asking you the question, the one word to describe 2021. Well, the word was awful. Now the one to describe 2022. The consensus says hopeful. I want your word for both. Number two. Something that we're watching very closely in foreign policy and national security, and that is the relationship of China and Russia getting closer together. And they've come together because they recognize they have a common objective in the sense that they want to undermine the United States and these democracies. Uh, That is Jack Keane. Russia, Russia, Russia. That's our central focus on foreign policy. As Vladimir Putin dials up his invasion uh, threat, Stalin style, and one leading dem looks like he's ready to just accept the Ukraine's going to be destroyed. Why we must step forward and not cave to this diminutive bully's demands. Number one. Look, there is no federal solution. This gets solved at a state level. I'm looking at Governor Sununu on the board here. He talks about that a lot. And it ultimately gets down to where the rubber meets the road. Are you kidding me? He should just thank Donald Trump for policies that he had in place. We heard about it in 2019. We're dealing about it in every aspect of our lives in 2022. I'm talking about COVID-19. From the new quarantine timeline to the vax mandate court fights to back-to-school street fights and the epic failure of the Biden administration, Americans are fed up. Why I think Americans will collectively decide to do what I'm doing, live with it rather than run from it. You just heard, this is unbelievable. First off, what did President Trump say and everyone ridiculed him? Enough tests. Too many tests. People walking around don't know they have the virus. They get a test. They got the virus. They're quarantined for 10 days. Enough tests. We got to get therapeutics and vaccines. And he did both. The therapeutics stopped. We just got one. That's gonna. We didn't order enough. They're not going to be ready for a while. Even Chuck Schumer frustrated with that. So now you look at a situation where the president is saying exactly what President Trump said. It's up to the governors. The governors know their state, they know their region, they know they're big, they know they're vast, they know when they're condensed, they know where the urban centers are, they know their mayors. Why do you want Washington telling you what to do? Joe Biden says it's called taking charge. I'm going to kill the virus, not the economy. He didn't kill the virus, but he is killing the economy. And the contradictory statements, I ne- it never ceases to amaze me, the idiocy. 
First, we got a new new wave. They say it's going to be about two months to get it. We're about a month in. It's going to fall off the cliff in the last, in the next two weeks, three weeks. That's what happened in South Africa. That's what's happening in the UK. We're not going to need a fourth shot enough for the shots. The CDC is tragically unreliable. Nothing but confusing mixed messages. Everything from we have enough tests to the rapid tests don't work to the PCR tests will pick up too much of the virus. So here's the latest thing. First off, the governors are now in charge. No kidding. They should have been in charge to begin with. You look DeSantis taking charge, and he gets ridiculed. What a joke that is. We'll discuss that later. Now you find that he should thank Donald Trump for that. Too much testing. He said he's going to have enough testing. It's tragic. Anybody responsible for this many deaths should not be president. He has transcended the number of deaths that Donald Trump had in the year of the virus, and he had no vaccine. This guy's got a vaccine, had a million shots in arms, and got more deaths than Donald Trump. So he should not be president. We all know that. Next, when it comes to testing, we have so many, we do not have enough tests. Now everyone's lined up to take a test. You've made America so paranoid, they're scared to death. I'm not, you're not, but some are. So we're afraid to work out, afraid to go to school, afraid to go to work, or using it not to work, not to go to school, not to work out. Whatever it is, it's got to stop. So then we get this rule, the quarantines. Um, We can't have a restaurant. We can't have planes. We can't have trains. We can't go to gyms because everyone who tests positive for this Omicron, which is basically a cold, uh, doesn't go out for 10 days. They're quarantined. They can't do anything, so they can't work. The economy doesn't move. Can't go to the bank. Can't get anything. I mean, literally, you can't go anywhere. I went to Starbucks. I went to Starbucks in Philadelphia, excuse me, in uh, in a small town in, in Pennsylvania, close to three. I thought that was odd. Then I was in Florida. Starbucks aren't open until 10. I go, why? They pay well. What's going on here? Well, everybody's got the virus. So this thing is so contagious. So the CDC listened and said, you know, it's you really can't spread it after five days. So let people go back to work without a test. Just go back to work. Wear a mask. Go back to work. Now, all of a sudden, there's huge pushback about going back to work. And then Anthony Fauci says this. Cut to. People are getting concerned about <laughs> why not test people at that time. I myself feel that that's a reasonable thing to do. I believe that the CDC soon will be coming out with more clarification of that since it obviously has generated a number of questions about at that five-day period. I can't even listen to it. At the five-day period, should you get a test before you go back? No, because for the most part, you're not transferable. We need people back at work, and we can't get a test. What don't you understand about that? You are the advisor to the president. You have failed. You do not communicate with the CDC. They don't communicate with you. Don't communicate with the White House. So therefore, when they come out with this five-day plan— You don't like it, so you wait for George Stephanopoulos to ask you a question about it, or Chuck Todd, or Margaret Brennan, and if the question comes up, you answer it. Who does policy like that? Here's the problem, and why the CDC did the right thing here. Cut three. And Dr. Walensky, other public health officials have criticized these new guidelines, saying that they should include a negative test, that that should be necessary for someone to be able to leave that isolation period. Why is that not included in the new guideline? 
Yeah, really important question. I'm glad you raised this. So what we do know is that um, the PCR test after infection can be pos positive for up to 12 weeks. So that is not going to be helpful. Um, you're not going to be transmitting during all of that period of time. We've seen that in study after study. So do you understand? It makes total sense. Did you tell Anthony Fauci that, the so-called expert who's wrong on everything, that you cannot wait 12 weeks to go back to work, back to school, back to life, back to the beach, whatever it is, to hosting, to being a vice president? I mean, what are we talking about? Will someone properly be practical? This is not 2019. This is not 2020. It's not even 2021. It's 2022. And you still have people saying, what do you mean it's only five days? Same thing with six feet. Six feet apart. We can't get kids back to school. Deaths have to be six feet apart. Uh, uh, make it three. Three. Okay, fine. But where did that come from? So you can't add it after a five-day. That's why you can't do it. Now, if that wasn't maddening enough, Tell us to wear a mask everywhere, right? You got to wear a mask indoors. Got to wear a mask on the train. You got to wear a mask on the plane, maybe forever. Then Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who I really think is as bright as he gets, cut eight. Cloth masks aren't going to provide a lot of protection. That's the bottom line. This is an airborne illness. We now understand that. And a cloth mask is not going to protect you from a virus that spreads through airborne uh, transmission. It could protect better through droplet transmission, something like the flu, but not something like this coronavirus. Okay, try not to throw something at the radio, uh, especially if you're driving. So what are we wearing a cloth mask for? So now they want, they're going to try to jam N95 masks down our throats. Do you realize how suffocating they are? And first they told us N95s aren't going to be effective because they got to be fitted. Surgeons get fitted for these. Now you have kids that are going to go to school wearing N95 masks. You know how hard it is to breathe in that? You breathe out for a reason. It's to expel. And now we're going to have that covering our entire face like a big tent? Are you nuts? I'm not doing that. But that's going to be the next thing. Because cloth masks don't work. By the way, thanks for telling us. Two and a half years into this, cloth masks don't work. First, we were masks don't work at all. They give you a, a false sense of security. So uh, I'm going to end with this. And everybody that calls, I'm going to ask this question, so be ready. So Americans saw, uh, were asked a question. It's a good question. End of the year question is common. USA Today, Suffolk did a poll. And they asked Americans, uh, how many? Doesn't really say how many. Let's say a few thousand. A thousand registered voters. They said this. Describe 2021 in a single word. So what describes them in? 23% said awful, terrible, bad, sucked. 12% <laughs> said chaos, confusing, turmoil. 11% said challenging, hard, rough. 6% said disaster, train wreck, catastrophe. This tied, okay, and good. 6%, all right? So number one, the snow, if things are terrible, I'm not for snowing yourself, but acknowledge it for a short period of time, you got to move on. You cannot label a whole year awful, terrible, bad, sucked. But 23% label it that way. A view of the year ahead. 46% are hopeful. I love it. 29 to 19% are worried. 18% are exhausted. I'm, I'm so fed up with the virus. 
but I am more than hopeful about everything because we're going to have an election coming up. Joe Manchin's already stood up for a lot of the socialist socialist programs going forward. This whole uh, variant is going to fall off a cliff rapidly, and we're going to have massive immunity because a lot of people have had it, don't even realize it, and the ramifications and the symptoms for the most part are so mild, they call it omnicold. I get it. That makes sense. That's why I'm optimistic. We'll see we could turn the corner here. We're going to stop looking at politicians to tell us what to do, move away from the states to do these mandates, and for those people who are getting fired because they won't take a vaccine, if you're a cop, firefighter, hospital worker, corrections officer, let's go to a state that will hire you uh, and make your own judgments about how you're going to handle it. So that's what's going on. I did not discuss Russia. I'll do it at the bottom of the hour, but I will take your calls on it. 1-866-408-7669. So glad you're here for 2022. What's the word to describe 2021? What's the word to describe what you want to happen in 2022? This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. The stats are clear. The safest place for children is inside a school. The numbers of transmissions are low. Your children is in a safe space to learn and continue to thrive. We lost almost two years of education. George, we can't do it again. And so I say to them, we're going to create a safe environment with testing. We're going to identify the children that that are exposed. We're going to remove them from that environment. The numbers show the mere fact that a child is exposed in a classroom does not mean that an entire classroom is exposed. We just have to be smarter and thoughtful to keep our city safe and operating. So that is the new mayor of New York City, unlike the old mayor, who did come around to saying we should go back to schools, but they were totally subservient to the teachers' unions who helped keep them in office. Here's what's different. Democrat president says now get back to school after a year and a half sitting on his hands. Now the secretary of education, same thing. Now the mayor of New York City, same thing. Now Anthony Fauci, same thing, cut 18. You know, when we've done the balance so many times over the last year about the deleterious effects of keeping children out of in, in, in physical presence in the school, and it's very clear that there are some really serious effects about that. Right. No kidding. How much have I been? I've been saying that over and over again for three years. But now you have Eric Adams, Democrat, Anthony Fauci, Democrat, Miguel Cardona, Democrat, cut 21. We've been very clear. Our expectation is for schools to be open full time for students for in-person learning. We remember the impact of school closures on students last year. And our science is better. Uh, We have better tools. We have $10 billion in the American Rescue Plan for surveillance testing. Uh, Vaccinations are available now for children ages 5 and up. We recognize uh, there may be some bumps in the road, especially this upcoming week when... Okay, okay, okay. So, So this should be it. I mean, my goodness. They're finally listening or they finally realize we're 100% right, whatever it is. But here's the problem. The teachers' unions have not gotten the message. The United Federation of Teachers not happy with New York City's decision to have in-person learning. The union sent a letter to staff saying starting Monday, double the amount of students, around 20% will be COVID tested. 
and that more at-home tests are available for staff or students experiencing symptoms and for anyone in class experiencing symptoms would be key. But they are pushing back now. The um, United Teachers Federation of Teachers, uh, President Michael McGrew, says we advised the mayor today, the new mayor, that we should go remote for at least a couple of days. Really? No, because we really need to figure out what we are in terms of staffing. Not our problem. Would you just tell the mayor, all those teachers that I fired for not getting vaccinated, we're going to need them back again. That's what you need. In Chicago, the teachers union gearing up to walk out on Wednesday over COVID-19 safety concerns. Uh, in Chicago, they're saying the state's for this walkout. The union scheduled to vote uh, for more than 25,000 members on Tuesday during the day, asking if they would support refusing to work in person starting Wednesday and working virtually instead. Really? So the unions are bucking their Democratic liberal leaders who got them billions of dollars to make their classroom safe as possible. That's what you get. That's what you reaped. Now, when I was on the road with the book tour, the President Freedom Fighter 6 in the country, thanks so much, the one thing I got is I'm a teacher. I know Fox doesn't like teachers. I, I got to straighten that out. Nothing against teachers. I think these teachers got to push back and go back. Push back and go back. I'm going back to work. I, you know, I'm here to teach third grade, seventh grade, ninth grade, eleventh grade. This is what I do. And people are getting screwed. You're getting screwed for your SATs. You're getting screwed getting into college, your high school. You're getting screwed with the fundamentals. That brain will never be as susceptible as it is right now. You cannot leave kids out for two years. Most people don't don't teach for the money. They do it for the passion to make an impact. They can't make an impact. Here's what Tim Scott said. I thought he put it brilliantly last night. Cut 22. There's no doubt that the education issue will be a part of my campaign because, in my opinion, it's the great equalizer in our country. You're talking about a new year with new opportunities. We want to make sure that parents have more choice in the education of their kids that gives the kids a better chance of success in life. One of the great things we need to know about our country is that we've made more progress in more areas than any other country on Earth. If we can make progress in the education space, we will change the fabric of this country in a positive way. No question. And he's 100 percent right. And it was so good to hear Eric Adams and Tim Scott always talk about how, what a great country we're in, Democrat or Republican. And listen, if Democrats want to be successful in 2022 and they're not taking cues from me, if Eric Adams does what he's saying, if he, Joe Manchin does what he's been doing, that's the blueprint for Democratic success. A reasonable Democrat, not a wild lefty who hates the country and wants to change its fundamentals. That's not going to work. The other way will work. You could be a Democrat. You just don't, you have to love the country fundamentally and not want to revolutionize it. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I fear that that uh, Putin is very likely to invade. Um, I still, frankly, don't understand the full motivation for why why now uh, he's doing this. But he, he certainly appears intent on it, uh, unless we can uh, persuade him otherwise. 
Um, and I think nothing other than a level of sanctions that Russia has never seen will deter him, and that's exactly what we need to do with our allies. Oh, my goodness. Is that a, this guy's head of intelligence committee? I can't figure out why the Russians really want to invade the Ukrainians. Well, I should maybe look at him in a social studies book. Maybe in 11th grade, he'll handle an American history book. We'll have to see. Uh, let's bring in Daniel Hoffman, former CIA station chief, served in Moscow, Iraq, Pakistan, South Asia, Europe. But we're going to focus on your expertise in Moscow. Daniel, welcome back. Hey, thanks. Great to be here. Happy New Year to you, to everyone, to all the uh, all your listeners. Absolutely, uh, to you too, Dan. Uh, this will be a fresh start for everybody. Uh, let's talk about uh, what Adam Schiff just said. He can't figure out why Russia would want to invade the Ukraine. Is this guy really on the intelligence committee? Well, you know, that's a real challenge for our intelligence community is to understand Vladimir Putin's intentions. You know, and, and I can tell you from my own experience that the key is to try to see the world through that KGB operative in the Kremlin, through Vladimir Putin's eyes. And he is getting something out of massing these, you know, 100,000 troops. Um, he's trying to extort the United States and NATO to pay a price to de-escalate a crisis that Putin created um, and induce us to agree never to admit Ukraine um, in, in, into NATO. And so that's certainly one thing he's doing. He's also... Uh, causing real problems between the United States and our allies. Just over the weekend, uh, Finnish uh, President Sauli Niinistö was very critical of our policy towards Russia and said that, that Finland and other European countries shouldn't be excluded from these discussions and that Russia shouldn't have a veto over whether they want to join NATO or not. So this is a hot issue. And, uh, you know, Putin is certainly keeping that option to invade Ukraine, whether it's take up a small piece of Ukraine or a large one, it's certainly on the table. Well, we can't let it happen, and we have to at least get defensive weapons into there deliberately and make it transparent because the Ukrainians will fight. The Russians don't want to be bloody unless they're going to start incinerating bodies and pretending that there's no body count. And the Ukrainians will stand up. They have The one thing they have done, they've unified the Ukrainians because they've forced them to rally and unify. Don't you agree with that? I do. Uh, look, the majority of Ukrainians want to join NATO and the European Union. They see Russia's failed economic model, and they don't want any part of that. And Putin knows that, by the way. Um, Putin doesn't care about Russian public opinion, but he does care about his inner circle. And if they think he's gone off the edge here with risky brinkmanship, uh, putting Ukraine in his chokehold and thinking he can, you know, he could, he could uh, whether launch an invasion or threaten to do so, they may be concerned about, you know, whether Vladimir Putin has it together and, and, is, and should be leading uh, their foreign policy. But what's key, as you mentioned, is making it prohibitively expensive for Russians in terms of spilling their blood and their treasure. And they've got to know it. And that's why we need to get more defensive weapons to Ukraine. And we haven't done that. Uh, we need to do more of that. You know, threats of, of more sanctions and other things after Russia invades Ukraine, I just don't see the value of that. I think we need to shore up their defenses now. Well, what they're doing in that document that they submitted to NATO and us is they're saying they want no missiles in any of these bordering in the Baltic countries or any of the, uh, any of the countries that were once they were added to NATO. They gave a list of of countries. Are you kidding? No troops, no missiles? That's not up to them. And they're going to decide who's going to be in and out of NATO. That's not up to them either. Even having these conversations, Dan, do you fear that this is looked at as a victory? Because in the past, Trump, Obama, Bush wouldn't even entertain this. Yeah, so that is a victory. Vladimir Putin has put issues on the table that we should have said right away uh, are not not 
to be discussed with Russia, because if you said Russia has no veto power over uh, over NATO members uh, and what they whom they choose to invite to to join the alliance, nor should Russia have veto power over Ukraine. And look, that, that's a violation of Ukraine's independence. As if Russia hasn't violated Ukraine enough already by annexing Crimea and attacking in the Donbas, but denying Ukrainians the right to join whatever. Uh, whether they want to join the European Union or NATO, I mean, Russia shouldn't be able to do that. Um, and and that the fact that we're having that conversation that 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 might be on the table uh, as the price to pay to de-escalate this crisis, because that's the way the Biden administration has framed it. Their goal is to de-escalate, and that's exactly what Putin wants. Biden administration has fallen into that trap and has not called out Russia for uh, for threatening Ukraine as they as they continue to do and and mounting massive cyber attacks and other things against uh, against Ukrainian government and private sector. Right. I mean, number one, why are we talking about the aftermath? If you invade, I'll hit you with sanctions. No, no, we have to stop the invasion. If they invade, damage is done. There's no border country that's going to be safe. That's why Finland wants to say in this. They want the U.S. to talk about it, but NATO wants to say in this. And I guess they're going to be meeting January 10th and one on the 12th. But General Jack Keane sees the big picture like you do, and he sees an alliance here. Cut 30. Something that we're watching very closely in foreign policy and national security, and that is the relationship of China and Russia getting closer together. And while they have historical differences for years, what they are about is undermining the United States' global leadership with like-minded democracies to maintain the international order that's been in place since post-World War II. They want to create their own sphere of influences, and they've come together because they recognize they have a common objective in the sense that they want to undermine the United States and these democracies. And I think there'll be more activity with them indicating not just their political coming together, but their military exercises will likely get stepped up. Do you think he's right on both fronts? He's absolutely right. And they did conduct military exercises over the summer at an unprecedented uh, scale. You know, look, Taiwan and, and Ukraine are on the fault lines right now, uh, the geopolitical fault lines of, of democracy on the one hand, with the United States leading the way, leader of the free world, and then the autocracies, dictatorships, Russia and, and, and China. And, and Ukraine is on the front lines of defense against Russia's espionage, military, cyber, economic attacks. Uh, you know, Winston Churchill, uh, when he was prime minister, uh, used to compare Hitler to the crocodile and said, you know, all of our, these nations appeasing Hitler hope that the crocodile will eat them last. Uh, and they hope that, that, that the storm will pass before it comes time for them to be devoured. But they, they make the mistake that they're, they're next, you know, and the crocodile will come for them, too. And if we don't stand up with our allies to Russia and China, uh, then our democracy will be at peril and free trade and all the things that we rely on uh, in this world to be safe and secure will be at peril. And, and that is a, a, should be of great concern. So what do we do to send a different message? I mean, right now we have our Secretary of Defense just tested positive for COVID-19. All we're talking about is internal reviews and political correctness. We're not really talking about doing anything but keeping pace, not even with inflation when it comes to our pen- our military budget, even though we spend a lot. So what, could, what would send the right message? And do you feel as though there's anyone in this administration that when they speak, you really could say to yourself, they get it? Well, I think, you know, the, the, the president um, 
and and his party uh, was often critical of President Trump for holding you know summit meetings with Kim Jong Un and and not having his subordinates take the lead on some of those high level meetings. I would have liked to have seen President Biden uh, send one of his emissaries, a senior diplomat, to Russia to have some back channel discussions with the Russians and make it absolutely clear that they need to pull back their troops and stop threatening Ukraine or else we're going to really up the ante on our uh, provision of, of, of defensive weapons. And we're going to do it anyway. We could send NATO ships into the Sea of Azov, which is another place where the Russians would like to, to gain traction. This is Machiavellian hard power. If we don't show up with our military, uh, then the Russians will see that as a sign of weakness. They already perceive our withdrawal from Afghanistan as an indication that the Biden administration doesn't want to be involved in foreign policy, wants to focus on internal domestic issues like COVID and Build Back Better and other domestic priorities, and is eager to, to get off the international stage as quickly as possible. That's why Putin created this false sense of, of urgency by massing those troops and saying, I need an answer now. He wants to push himself to the front of the line. And we need to take a step back and show some, uh, some real you know, strategic, sophisticated strategy here. Uh, and that involves, again, giving Ukraine a lot more support with our allies and sending them the weapons that they need, which they still don't have. I, you know, I'm kind of boggles the mind that the Russians have been massing troops for months and we still haven't delivered what the Ukrainians need. Because they said that would look like a provocation if we did that. Enough worry. Are we, are we the strongest guy in the block and we're embarrassed by it? Well, that's what the Russians say. You know, the Russians are saying, don't don't give the Ukrainians any weapons because that's a provocation. Well, I'm sorry, the Russians have 100,000 troops on the border. And, you know, our what Putin is complaining about as far as the, the, the missile defense and things in Eastern Europe, I mean, that's ballistic missile defense systems in Romania and Poland. And that was always that was designed when it was installed initially years ago uh, to counter Iran. And the Russians used to say, well, now you have JCPOA, you don't need those systems anymore. Well, the heck we don't. We need them now because, you know, Iran has backed out of that deal uh, and is violating it with impunity. And so and, and they've grown their ballistic missile program. So we need those. They're not offensive weapons. They are defensive in nature. Putin likes to say they could be turned into offensive weapons, but they're not. And uh, this is, again, at the heart of our our, our right. issues with Russia. We need to show that some strength, as, as President Reagan used to say, you know, peace through strength. And, and President Reagan was great about calling out the Russians, the Soviets in those days, as the evil empire that they were, telling Gorbachev to tear down the wall. I'm not hearing any of that either from this administration, and I wish we were, because, you know, Putin is wanting to show that he can go toe-to-toe with the United States while he crushes uh, domestic opposition. He just closed Memorial, which is a um, an organization created in, in 1988, 1989 to chronicle um, Stalin's uh, ruthless attacks and purges uh, of, uh, and repression of Soviet citizens. And they were they were tracking what Putin's regime has done in Chechnya and the North Caucasus. And Putin doesn't like that, so he shut them down. And I'd like to hear more from this administration, you know, in the public square calling out Russia for that. Frankly, we have a weak policy on Russia, and that's why we're seeing Russia's incursion in Ukraine. Lastly, they say, what would you do, America, if Mexico put missiles on your border? If uh, Venezuela lined up missiles with your border? That's how we feel about NATO in, in encroaching on uh, our border states. What's your answer to that? Uh, the... 
that's a great, you know, typical Russian Soviet KGB example of what aboutism. You know, we have productive relationships with Mexico, and there aren't any issues. We are a democracy, and we're not seeking to invade other these countries like Mexico or, for that matter, Venezuela. Um, the Russians, however, invaded Georgia in 2008, launched a massive cyber attack on Estonia in 07, and invaded Ukraine. They routinely. Um, conduct these sorts of uh, offensive military operations and violate other countries' territorial integrity. And so countries are understandably nervous about Russia's behavior, and we need to hold them accountable for what they're doing and stop with the hypothetical discussions about what's going on in our own hemisphere. Exactly. I just don't know. There's, that, there's if that mystery and that toughness. They couldn't figure out Reagan, and they still can't figure out Trump. Uh, we were slow to realize that Yeltsin was no longer in power and Vladimir Putin was going to be different with Bush. Uh, Obama was lectured constantly. He never had the respect. That's a fact. And Joe Biden, they have seen enough and they're going for it. Uh, and I, th- I wish I was wrong. Daniel Hoffman, thanks so much. Thank you. Have a good day. All right. one uh, 866 When we come back, the question, how would you describe in one word? 2021, and how would you describe in one word 2022? USA did a poll, awful wins in 2021, hopeful wins in 2022. There's no topic he won't touch, and there's no opinion he won't engage. It's one of the great joys of my life. Call in with yours at 866-408-7669. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, we clearly need to focus on the hospitalization rate and how many people are coming severely ill. There's a very clear decoupling between cases at this point and hospitalizations and ICU admissions. This does appear to be a milder strain of coronavirus, and we also have a lot of immunity in the population. I think places that have been hard hit early, like the Mid-Atlantic, the Northeast, New England, Florida, parts of the Pacific Northwest, may be two weeks away from peaking, but the rest of the country probably faces a hard month ahead of us. Yeah, uh, it'll be a hard month, but it'll be a cold. And they say with kids, you got to look out because they have shallow lungs. I understand it. Do keep that in mind. But every time a kid goes to school, it's like an incubator. Every time it's your kids got you sick when you came home or you got your family sick. If you're a young person listening to me right now, we'll have a few weeks left in college where you're still off or you found out um, like you're delayed, you're going back, going to get delayed. There's a risk with everything. There's a risk. When you go out to a mall, you're going to get something. But now we are paralyzed by it, and a lot of it has to do with the way this is all being reported. This is something you get over. Within five days, you'll get the immunity, get the antibodies, and this is going to fall quickly. Robert, you're listening on WVMT in Burlington, Vermont. Hey, Robert. Yeah, hi. It's it's, uh, regarding Ukraine. It's the Cuban Missile Crisis all over again. I mean, we won the Cold War, but we lost the peace. Once the Cold War was over, we should not have run NATO right up to the borders of Russia. They feel threatened. And what we could do, this could be solved by diplomacy. We could convince the Russians that they should be on our side because the danger to them is China. China is looking at Siberia. That ship is sailed, Robert. That ship sale. Number one, if these countries want to have on their own free will, want to have a free society and a democracy, and they're concerned about being swallowed up by uh, Vladimir Putin again and be recreating the Soviet Union, what you do is you join NATO. And NATO said no problem if you hit our criteria. We should not be telling countries, uh, pretend as if you're not a democracy, that you can't join our alliance. We 
you don't want to be drawn into another European war like the, the, the two world wars. American boys and girls don't want to die over there. So, no, so what, but Robert, the it, other, the enemy has a vote. First. The enemy has a vote. This Vladimir Putin uh, is without the carnage has the same attitude as Stalin. He wants to dominate. And just because if we choose to expand or not expand NATO, that is something ancillary to this entire conversation. If you if you left the Warsaw Pact nations out of NATO, they would have choked up right to that point and would have felt threatened by what was left of Germany. They would have been threatened by what is there of France and the Netherlands, and they would have pressured those nations to start going to a totalitarian society. These countries wanted to be free, and they've been our allies, and they've made NATO stronger. Nothing wrong with that. No one's been more loyal than Poland. You know, no one's shown more promise than these other smaller nations. They, they Lithuania and others. So it's not my fault they feel threatened because democracies don't threaten communists. The communist threatens democracies because of our utter existence. And that's the problem with all this. So uh, because we're forgetting that Russia is causing all of this. We are not threatening their stability. We never have. Listen to Mike Turner and his big worry. Cut 31. Well, it's hard to predict what they will do, but what they are doing, we know, is threatening Ukraine as a as a valid elected democracy, uh, both having invaded it prior uh, and annexing portions of the country in Crimea and in the Donbass region, destabilizing the country uh, and seeking to have a portion of, of that, that country align itself uh, with Russia, and then threatening the remainder of the country. This is a real threat to NATO and the United States and certainly uh, democracies. And the fact that, that Russia could be using tanks to change the map of the world against a democracy. I think uh, should be troubling to all of our allies. And that should. We can't appease a lunatic. He's a lunatic. Should not be trusted. Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York. Heard around the country, heard around the world. The Brian Kilmeade Show 2022. So glad you're here. Uh, and I'm so glad that, well, I'm one of the few people back at work. That we're back to splitting our time again here at Fox. And I'm sure you are feeling it if you're at home or if they're telling you stay at school, stay at home and do some remote learning. My hope is if you're a primary school student or parent, they're back in school. But uh, my fingers are crossed for you and your family because it's been about two, three years now. And I think it's time to get back to normal. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Michael Goodwin. I am optimistic about this city because we got rid of that last mayor. Nobody called out our mayor more um, holistically and vociferously and um, consistently than Michael Goodwin. He's going to be with us in the New York Post and Fox News in just a moment. And J.D. Vance wants to be the next senator from Ohio. How's that campaign doing? And what about uh, what about this, uh, this Republicans on the cusp of thinking about the House and Senate? What is it going to take to have a resonating message? Because right now the Democrats are talking about nationalizing elections and bringing back another version of Build Back Better. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Here we go. A new poll from USA Today. One word to describe 2021. The poll says awful. 2022, the poll says number one. Hopeful. I want you to tell me your two words for those two years. Number two. 
something that we're watching very closely in foreign policy and national security, and that is the relationship of China and Russia getting closer together. And they've come together because they recognize they have a common objective in the sense that they want to undermine the United States and these democracies. Russia, 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 that's our central focus of foreign policy and should be China too. As Vladimir Putin dials up an invasion threat, Stalin style, and one leading Dem looks like he's ready to accept another Ukrainian demise. Why must we step why we must step forward and not cave to Vladimir Putin? Number one. Look, there is no federal solution. This gets solved at a state level. I'm looking at Governor Sununu on the board here. He talks about that a lot. And it ultimately gets down to where the rubber meets the road. Are you kidding me? We heard about it in 2019. We're dealing with it again in every aspect of our lives in 2022. I'm talking about COVID-19 from the new quarantine timeline to the vax mandate court fights to the back to school street fights and the epic failure of the Biden administration's Americans are fed up waiting for a test and waiting for guidelines to make any type of sense. Why I think Americans will collectively decide, Democrats and Republicans, to live with the virus in spite of the virus rather than run from the virus. And let's bring in uh, Michael Goodwin. Uh, Michael, uh, I am optimistic that we're going to see a mayor who really wants the job and will try to earn the job. But if you're looking for the mandates to be lifted, he's actually going to include a booster mandate, I hear. Uh, good morning, Brian, and Happy New Year. Um, look, uh, Eric Adams is clearly a mayor in progress here. Um, he has said a lot of terrific things about crime and education. Um, I think, like a lot of public officials, he's feeling his way on the issue of the virus and mandates and lockdowns, et cetera. And so I think he has effectively taken the safe road, which is to follow in the footsteps of the CDC, uh, sort of the, the, the leaders of the Democratic Party. And frankly, the Republicans, uh, except for Ron DeSantis, have not offered much of an alternative. Uh, and I don't think there is much of an alternative. I think that some of these mandates go too far. But fundamentally, uh, I think people are scared, and they do, they do gather uh, a certain sense of reassurance from at least some federal directives. And so for President Biden to say there's no federal solution, uh, that this all has to be done at the states, I mean, that's just a horrible thing, because there are many roles the federal government has to play, and they have not played those, those roles well. When you look at the testing, issues, you look at the therapeutics, the, the federal government has really just kind of stalled. And, and so for Biden to call the whistle at that point, I think is a huge mistake. Of course it is. But guess who said that? I want to backfill the governors, uh, the President Trump. He said, I, I want to provide resources for these states, but they know what their states need best. The more we can get this local with people uh, with their demands and needs, the better we'd off we'd be. And President Biden says basically that was an abdication of, of your duty. He also said anybody responsible for as many deaths as Donald Trump should not be president. He's transcended that with, by the way, with a vaccine. And, of course, the testing sites. I've never seen lines so long. Wherever you look, this is an epic fail. Cases are up. But deaths are down 3%. Cases are up 200%. Hospitalizations are up 30%. So there is an issue that needs to be addressed. 
but to pretend as if he was ready for a variant that everyone said was coming from Robert Redfield on down is folly. He was not ready for this. Now, the big change since we last spoke is if, you got, if you're a positive, five days, you're back in action. That allows airlines to fly, trains to work, restaurants to go. You're able to maybe run your business, uh, maybe uh, drive a truck and deliver some goods. And because they say that, for the most part, is the risk. Now, listen to what Anthony Fauci says as opposed to the CDC director. The PCR test after infection can be positive for up to 12 weeks. So that is not going to be helpful. People are getting concerned about why not test people at that time. I myself feel that that's a reasonable thing to do. So he wants a test after five days if you're going to condense it down from 10. All right. The problem is that test gives you remnants of a virus that you might not be spreading for 15, maybe more. So if we listen to Anthony Fauci and we pretend we have tests, by the way, we don't have enough tests, we're never going to get back to work, never going to get back to school, never going to get back to living your life. So how could the CDC and and the the lead medical advisor to the president be so uh, disparate? Well, I I think because they are not following the science. I I think because they are, uh, as Fauci said in a different interview, uh, we basically concluded it was the the public wouldn't accept it. There was too much pushback. So pushback today is fine, but criticism is misinformation. Uh, I mean, that's the uh, (laughs) – a friend wrote me a note the other day, Brian. He said, uh, with all the college football bowl games, I think you'll appreciate this, there ought to be a Fauci bowl. And in that game, you move the goalpost every quarter. Fantastic. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's what continues to happen out of Washington. And so when Biden says there's no federal solution, well, then let's at least uh, come to some agreement as to what the federal role will be. And constantly changing the guidelines, constantly changing, moving the goalposts is clearly not the answer. And yet there we go again. Now you can do five days. Oh, we may have to do a test after five days. I mean, and, and as the interviewer suggested, some of these tests will be, many of these tests will be positive because of the nature of the test. It doesn't necessarily mean you are infectious. So the testing itself is still messy and still uh, producing these, these misleading results. So there's a lot the federal government can do and should do. But issuing these national mandates is what has gone too far. And that's the part. If, I mean, for Biden to say there's no federal solution while he's fighting for these mandates in the courts, uh, that is another contradiction. It's like he'll pick out the things he thinks he can get away with yeah. and claim those as the federal role, where in fact he's dropped the ball on the most important things, which is getting the test out to the country, providing, as Donald Trump provided ventilators, hospital beds. That's the sort of thing, not ventilators, but the sort of role the federal government should have. Supply the states with everything they need, not command them what they must do. I understand. Uh, By the way, just so you know, 85 to 90 percent of viral transmission happens in the first five days. That's why the CDC director said it's worth it. We can't get we they didn't say this. They can't get tests. You can't get if Michael Goodwin wanted a test right now, Michael, even though you have a lot of pull in New York, you'd have to get online. It's freezing. 
uh, and you're going to have to wait outside a white tent, and I have no idea when you're going to get the results of those tests. And we also found out that the rapid tests, you need two or three of them to get an idea of whether you're positive or not. To get an idea. Really? Okay, great. Thank you. And now the reason why there's no reason to have a test because transmission doesn't have 90% of the transmission is done in the first five days. So you're making a calculated risk. We can't destroy the economy. If you want to fly, if you want your products delivered, if you want a cop on the street, if you want a firefighter to put out the home, your house fire, you can't have it both ways. I don't understand what's wrong with these people. I want to pivot to another area of your expertise, and that's New York. This is what I like about what Eric Adams said yesterday, definitively. He's a Democrat. Cut 19 on schools. The stats are clear. The safest place for children is inside a school. The numbers of transmissions are low. Your children is in a safe space to learn and continue to thrive. We lost almost two years of education. George, we can't do it again. And so I say to them, we're going to create a safe environment with testing. We're going to identify the children that, that are exposed. We're going to remove them from that environment. The numbers show the mere fact that a child is expo- exposed in a classroom does not mean that an entire classroom is exposed. So we just have to be smarter and thoughtful to keep our city safe and operating. He knows it's not perfect, but some kids need the lunch that they get at school as their only lunch. Number two is they don't. The poorest kids are, are the ones who are most least likely to be doing any virtual classroom. He's saying it's not worth it to stay home. I'm encouraged by this. Are you? I am. Um, but he's going to come up against the union, and that Already. is uh, the problem. I mean, that's that's where the rubber meets the road. I mean, he's right to say those things, but now he's got to push it through the union. Now, that fortunately, the New York union is not as radical as the Chicago union, uh, but it is still resistant uh, to anything that anybody else wants to do that somehow uh, their members don't like. And so they will use the they will use the virus to say there should be more remote learning. They will always push remote, and that's what he's going to have to stand firm on because he is right that that the children are more resilient in so many ways, and the price of shutting down the schools is 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 too high and and uh you know brian in in many in many of the cities uh such as new york washington chicago uh the private schools continue so you have you really do have a uh a tale of two cities here where those who rely on the public schools suffer the most and those who are able to go to private and sometimes the parochial schools they will continue to get their education i mean this is a kind of thing that creates lifelong disadvantages it's not about race it's about the unions and that is the big difference here that the unions are penalizing the children they profess to care about i know any of us who have ever written about the teachers unions know it's never about the kids it's always about the union and that's not to say there aren't individual great teachers who do care about the children but the union itself does not care about children and never well, does. Well, they embarrass them, like uh, they did with the air traffic unions. Uh, so the United Federation of Teachers President Michael McGrew in New York said, we advised the mayor that we should go remote for at least a couple of days because we need to really figure out where we're at with staffing capacity. Teachers are informing us that they cannot come in. 
their child tested positive, they tested positive. We've seen COVID-19 over the holidays in that, uh, that we've never saw before. Okay, that might be a concern. There's an easy way to do that. You find out ahead of time. You can put an email out, want to make sure who's healthy. Number two is invite all those teachers that you fired because they weren't getting vaccinated and give them a testing option. That might also be it. And I'd rather consolidate classrooms or combine classrooms than shut it down again. And what he's got to do is call out these teachers. I also, the Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona, go back to school. Anthony Fauci, we need to get the kids into school. The only holdout now are the unions. It's time to embarrass those unions, Michael. Well, that's right. And uh, what Mulgrew says there, let's take a couple of days, that's a classic union stall. Uh, it, is, it is the Randy Weingarten model. She used to be the president the of the union in New York. She's now the national president. And it's always, oh, yes, we really want to keep the schools open, but we have 175 problems we have to deal with first. They never get to yes. It's always no but. Uh, let's, yeah, or yes, but. Let's just get to yes. Let's just keep the schools open. Let's keep pushing. Because if you give the union that crack in the door, oh, just for a couple of days, they will never open that door. They will always decide, oh, we need a few more days. Oh, here's another problem. Here's this. Here's that. Oh, what about the ramp outside? It has nothing to do with COVID. But while we're closed, why don't we tear up the street outside? I mean, this is a stall maneuver by the union. It is not sincere. Thanks so much, Michael Goodwin. You did a great job eviscerating and for reporting accurately the idiocy of the last eight years under Mayor de Blasio. So read his column in the New York Post. Michael, thank you. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. Uh, we come back. Your turn. One eight six. Wow. Look at the board. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. But what your topic is? Answer this question: How you describe in one word twenty twenty one and what you want twenty twenty two to be in one word. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back. Uh, J.D. Vance is coming up in 10 minutes, but right now it's time to go to the calls. Marlene, listening on KRTK in St. Louis. Hey, Marlene. Hey, great. Thanks for having me. Um, My hope for 2022 is that the American people have an awakening and realize that people in positions of authority and power, like politicians, people in the government, and even in many cases, doctors are in positions of authority. They may not have your best interests at heart. Where is early treatment for COVID? I had COVID in November and I had brain fog. Imagine the lives that could potentially be saved. Imagine the disability that could potentially be prevented if we just had early treatment. I know people who say they have brain fog. It's like a cognitive impairment a year later. I mean, and I took ivermectin in my I brain hear you, fog Maureen. And, and thank goodness, even sick. Chuck Schumer said, why are we not rushing this to market? They didn't order enough. And by the way, it's KFTK. Are you okay now? Yes. All right. Yes. So let me ask you one question. How would you describe 2021? One word. Uh, dystopian. <laughs> and what about 2022? Uh, cautiously optimistic. Nice. Rob, W-L-A-D. Hey, Rob. Connecticut. 2021 was communism. 2022, I want a free America. All right. Uh, but, and uh, what's on your mind? 
my thing is, my buddy's got cancer, right? So now he's got to go get his treatment. Yep. And after, the doctor doesn't have tests. He says, you got to go get one of these private tests. So go to some pharmacy. I'll give you a list. He goes, he says, you got to bring back the test that's negative and then retake a test at the hospital because the hospital does not accept the home test. So I think America's just getting full with all these home tests that Biden lost that we spent billions of dollars on for a test that nobody recognizes. Perfectly said. Uh, thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. Uh, when we come back, J.D. Vance. He wants to replace Senator Portman. Can he do it? Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fact that the FDA again is now looking to uh, recommend that boosters be available in this younger population without convening their expert external review panel really is just a stain on the checks and balances of the normal scientific process. So that is Dr. Sapphire. Can't believe that the FDA is doing this without checking with their board. And they just come out with these statements without having checks and balances. If I if I am running the FDA, I would not want that responsibility. Hey, guys, what do you think about this? What are the downsides? Having a 12-year-old take a booster. How do we know it's even going to affect them? Because we believe that a lot of people have breakthroughs even with the boosters that are older. With me right now is J.D. Vance, author of Hillbilly Elegy. He's running to be replaced Senator Portman in Ohio. Is uh, in the Trafalgar Telfarger, um, uh poll is uh, second with 14.9% of the vote. Uh, J.D. Mandel has got 21.4% uh, of the vote. So, uh, J.D., first off, what's going on here with this vaccine? I've never seen such, such craziness. It's such a circus with this. Yeah, you know, it's, it's very weird, right? We know, of course, the kids now get severe uh, coronavirus, unless they have, you know, some other morbidities. My, my, both of my kids have gotten it. It was, the, you know, the mildest cold they've ever gotten. It, it starts to feel like these health decisions are more political than they are about health, because, you know, why isn't the FDA actually doing the normal review process for, for boosting, you know, six, seven, eight-year-old, 11-year-old children? It's really, really crazy. And it, again, it makes you think that this has been driven more by the politics of the Biden administration than by a serious consideration of health. I mean, how can we possibly know what effect the boosters have on children over the long term? These, these shots thing if we're talking about elderly people who have a severe risk of dying or at least getting seriously injured from COVID. It's another thing when you're talking about children who are effectively zero risk. Uh, yeah, and just the mandate in particular uh, for adults overall. And now we have kids getting back to school. This is I can't believe this, J.D. We actually have our Secretary of Education, Anthony Fauci, the mayor of New York City, largest school system in the country, saying we need the kids back in school. Omicron or not, back in school. The teachers' unions in Chicago, New York, and I imagine others are saying let's just take a little while. In fact, in Chicago, they're talking about walking out if they are forced back in school. You know, it's so disappointing that our society has lost its ability to assess risk and to do any reasonable cost-benefit analysis, of course. You know, what these people will say is that they're trying to prevent the spread of COVID, but COVID is not the only bad thing that could happen to a child. What about losing weeks or months of socialization? What about getting behind in school two years? We know, especially in Chicago, you know, their public school system is so terrible, these, these kids in the inner city are getting trapped in failing schools 
Uh, they're five, six years behind, um, you know, a kid that goes to a better school. This is just our entire society has gone nuts. We have to think about the things in life that make it worth living. We cannot all shut our children inside for years until coronavirus goes away. Because, Brian, I hate to say it. I wish it wasn't true, but coronavirus is going to be here for the rest of our lives. It sucks, but it is here, and we have to learn how to live a reasonable life despite it. Right. Uh, Thanks, China. Uh, So the big story is how we're going to handle it, and that's what's leadership, political leadership, the the CEO of your your company, the manager that's ahead of you, the vice president uh, that's above you. And the big thing is mandates. So we could have a great policy with Fox, but we're still in New York City. So were they making mandates for everybody with these private companies, 100 or more? You're a businessman uh, by trade. You're Ivy League educated with a military background. So now these attorney generals are bringing the government to to court. And now the Supreme Court is going to convene a special session beginning today to see if these mandates are constitutional. Here's Mark Brenovich. He wants to be the next senator to replace Mark Kelly in Arizona. He's currently attorney general. Cut 23. I expect and I hope the Supreme Court recognizes that nowhere in the Constitution, that brilliant document that our our framers gifted to us, does the president, any president, Republican, Democrat, Independent, have the authority to do what the Biden administration is trying to do? And so they are essentially using this crisis, using the pandemic, to have powers that are not only not in the Constitution, but quite frankly are unprecedented. I mean, think about this, Lisa. If there's a health crisis, that's the Biden administration's rationale. Does that mean that because we have an obesity crisis in this country that the Biden administration can ban contractors from having their employees eat Mexican food? Or if you're in a Head Start program, you can't have pizza? in your school. I mean, think about the ludicrous results that will happen if we allow this unconstitutional precedent to stand. Where do you stand on that? Because uh, the, the supporters of mandates say, look at the increase in vaccination since people were forced to do it. Well, look, again, it's, it's look, the mandates are a disaster. And just because you've increased vaccination, the question is, at what cost, right? At what cost to our fundamental liberties? At what cost to our system of government, our basic roles, and abilities to live our lives as citizens. I mean, look, the the, the basic problem here is that when you're effectively having the government use private businesses to do something through the back door that it couldn't do through the front door. So Joe Biden, if he showed up to your house with a gun and and a couple of FBI agents and said, get the shot now or we're going to take you to prison, nobody would stand for that. But by using these regulations through the back door, he's basically having your employer say, get this vaccination or we're going to fire you. We should not expect that because it does open up a host of really negative things. The CDC says you shouldn't have more than one beer a week. The CDC says you shouldn't eat raw cookie dough. What are we going to be doing if we fire people from their jobs next year because they had raw cookie dough when they were making Christmas cookies? Like This is just a crazy overreach that we're enabling that is going to basically make it impossible for us to live our lives in any sphere. We're creating a precedent that could lead to medical tyranny in this country. I unfortunately fear the medical tyranny in this country. J.D., the other thing is, is creating anger between the American people in that some people are really angry. If you're not wearing a mask and if you're not vaccinated, how dare you? You know, people calling for not to be treated in hospitals if you're not vaccinated. Really? Okay, get a booster. That'll be the next thing. A fourth shot is what Israel's doing right now. I want no part of that. What kind of vaccine do you need four shots in one year in order for it to be effective? And we have more breakthroughs than anybody wants to admit. Uh, so I want you to hear the new thing. 
Rochelle Walensky decided that instead of 10 days, it's five days as CDC director. And because of that, uh, this is the new rule. Cut three. And Dr. Walensky, other public health officials have criticized these new guidelines, saying that they should include a negative test, that that should be necessary for someone to be able to leave that isolation period. Why is that not included in the new guideline? Yeah, really important question. I'm glad you raised this. So what we do know is that um, the PCR test after infection can be pos positive for up to 12 weeks. So that is not going to be helpful. So if you're going to test positive for 12 weeks or have remnants of it with the PCR test, do you really want people at Delta Airlines, at Amtrak, uh, at the restaurant down the block? Do you want them all home for 12 days? knowing that 90% of the transmission happens, stops after five days. So you wear a mask, you, be, you feel fine, you're out. And now people are pushing back on that, including the media. They think that's irresponsible. What do you think? Well, of course, the media is pushing back on it because most of the people in our elite class can do their jobs sitting in, in front of a computer. But you can't do that if you work in most of the industries in our country. If you work in finance or you work in tech or you work in media, you, know, you can broadcast your show sitting at home. And so these people are pushing these rules, having no appreciation for how they affect the rest of our country. Uh, you can't drive a truck sitting in your home, right? You can't manufacture goods uh, or fly on an airplane sitting at home. And this is the problem is that we're basically living in a tyrannical state where people who can sit at home and shut themselves off from outside society or who want to have decided they're going to impose their sociopathic rules on the rest of us. Uh, it's true with this entire pandemic. There's no appreciation of risk. There's no appreciation for the consequences that this has for our children. There's no end goal because the people making the rules are ultimately not subject to their worst outcomes. That's true with this the theoretical 12-week quarantine. It's true with mandating a fourth or fifth booster. I mean, Brian, are we going to wake up in a country in two years where unless you've had your 10th booster shot, you're not allowed to earn bread? You're not allowed to earn a living for your family? This is just crazy what we're allowing these people to do. And, and I, I think this Omicron thing, right, where we're seeing it spread despite the fact that a lot of people are boosted, this is the point where I think we have to say enough is enough. Because if we bend the knee again, if we let this continue for another year, I fear we're never going to get back the freedoms we gave up two years ago. Uh, there's no question. And by the way, I don't know how you feel about this. Here's what Marco Rubio tweeted out. I thoroughly agree. Record numbers testing positive for a sore throat isn't a crisis. And people in the hospital for car accidents testing positive isn't a surge. The real crisis is the irrational hysteria, which is people with no symptoms waiting for hours for a test or missing work. For 10 days. That's, I don't know what you're seeing in Ohio, J.D., but I see it all over Long Island and New York City. Wherever I go, the, the nicest area, the most rundown area, long lines for tests. Yeah, and of course, those tests are required in a lot of places for kids to go back to school. So we've created this hysterical situation where everybody has to get tested every time they get a runny nose. They can't return to normal life unless they get a negative test. And yet the Biden administration hasn't provided the necessary tests. I mean, this is to me the definition of tyranny. When you subject people to a set of rules that you know because of your own failures that they can't follow, we just need to get back to normal. Look, kids are going to have sniffles. People are going to have sore throats. If you have symptoms, of course, stay at home. Don't expose people for a couple of days. But we cannot live a life 
where in order to, to, to have a, a normal sort of a normal life as citizens, you have to get tested every two or three days, every time you get a sore throat. It's just hysterical. And nobody ever talks about the psychological effects this has, right? What psychological effect does it have on a four-year-old? Well, I've got a four-year-old and a one-year-old, and we just had a baby girl right before Christmas. But when you have a four-year-old kid who is constantly reminded of a disease that is not dangerous to him, what effect does it have? on that person's development? What effect does it have on their anxiety levels as they're, as they're going about their daily lives of learning and socializing? We don't talk enough about that because we are ruled by people who don't actually care about us and don't care about our kids. So I want you to hear, this is congratulations, by the way, that's great news. But when your kids go back to school, you know, preschool too, um, they have to wear a mask in almost every state, in almost every district. Yeah. And then Dr. Scott Gottlieb says this, so keep this in mind. Next time you tell your son or daughter just to strap this on and be quiet and listen to your teacher, cut eight. Cloth masks aren't going to provide a lot of protection. That's the bottom line. This is an airborne illness. We now understand that. And a cloth mask is not going to protect you from a virus that spreads through airborne uh, transmission. It could protect better through droplet transmission, something like the flu, but not something like this coronavirus. That's Dr. Scott Gottlieb. So he used to run the CDC. So what do you think about that? Well, he's absolutely right. And we've known this now for two years. You've seen states that have vaccine, or excuse me, states that have mask mandates have the same surges as the states that don't have mask mandates. Uh, you know, look, I, I know that I can smell when I wear, when I'm forced to wear a mask on an airplane, I can smell everything. Well, if I can smell everything, then presumably the coronavirus is able to pierce through that mask because it's a lot smaller than the particulates in the air. Uh, that caused people to smell. Like, this is just, it's so obvious, it's so common sense that a cloth mask that you've been wearing for a week or a month is disgusting. It's not going to protect you from coronavirus. We see it in the data. We, we see it through basic common sense. And yet we are still living in this world where people are double masking out of the, out of the sense that it's going to somehow protect them. I mean, I, I flew down to Miami uh, about a week ago and I was sitting next to this family where every single member of the family, including the 12-year-old kid, was double masked with a face shield, right? You want to talk about coronavirus, let's talk about the psychosis that you're creating in children by making them double masked and wear a face shield. What is going on in their brains, and how is that affecting their long-term health? I guarantee it's a hell of a lot more dangerous than coronavirus is. Yeah, if you were a bubble boy and you had no immunity uh, or no antibodies, and we hope that doesn't happen to anybody, that's, what, that's why you put, put yourself in a bubble. Literally, you put yourself in a bubble. Your body cannot handle anything. Now you're telling everyone, look out, you will die. So I, I'm just, we have to get out of this, and we can't depend on any leadership from Washington. But it looks as though the President uh, Trump's idea of letting states handle it is something that Joe Biden is now endorsing. He said this is not a federal problem to handle. Are you surprised about the evolution? You know, I'm surprised that he finally came around to reality because they've been so bad at doing that. But that was obviously true, of course, when the president, when President Trump said it. Uh, now you have Joe Biden who's finally accepting reality. What I find hilarious about the Democrats is that if you tell them it's ridiculous that we let 100,000 or 300,000 illegal aliens cross our southern border, they'll tell you it's impossible, right? It's impossible to control our southern border. But yet at the same time, they think that it's possible to control a highly respiratory virus with cloth masks. Like these people sometimes feel like they're living in a total dream world. 
And, 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 and like, let's have basic common sense. You cannot control this thing. You cannot have a federal solution to a respiratory virus that's highly contagious. You need to let states, you know, of course, different states have different climates, right? Florida's a lot warmer right now than Ohio is. You need to give states the flexibility to deal with this, to protect the vulnerable and so forth. But at the end of the day, we need to have as a country a psychological moment of self-awareness where we say, you know what? The coronavirus isn't fun. Uh, it's not good to get it. But we're all just going to have to accept to live with it. We need live to be with done it. with the hysterics and go on with our lives. Absolutely. And uh, J.D. Vance, that's where you want to get into government and help out more. Uh, J.D. Vance, uh, thanks and congratulations. Thanks, Brian. Take care. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We'll come back with your calls. One of the questions I'll ask you: one word to describe twenty twenty one. One to describe what you hope happens in twenty twenty two. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I would encourage the administration to utilize the states. Uh, in distributing uh, those 500 million tests. Uh, We can do it more efficiently. We have to have flexibility to do it. And if you don't do it that way, then you're going to be in competition because that's not an efficient way to distribute it uh, by a website, uh, by personal calls. And so there is a point of disagreement there, but this administration does back us up. Uh, and we need to have the flexibility, though, and I encourage, particularly in testing, give the states the flexibility to manage that distribution. That was the whole Trump philosophy. He said, I, don't, I don't really, really can't tell you what New York needs. I'll, I'll, I'll respond to what their request and compete for the antibodies and for the, mono, uh, uh, the uh, monoclonal antibodies that were, were the treatment at the time. I want you guys to go out and, and do it. And a lot of people had trouble with that. And, you know, you got a, a lot of resourcefulness. But as was brought up earlier, there's different climates, different times. You know, it's a lot colder in Montana than Florida. There's, there's a lot of challenges with all these things. And I just thought giving governors the power makes sense. And for a guy that everybody said just wanted power and to accumulate all the power possible, Trump was more than willing to give it up from day one. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Hi, Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Dr. Mark Siegel is standing by to help us out with the number one issue of the day. You know it. And I want to hear from you uh, what exactly your hopes are for this coming year. Remember, the Brian Kilmeade Show can be caught on podcast. If you can't catch up live, catch us live, BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Go to iTunes. Uh, you could go to Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast. So first things first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Here we go. New poll, USA Today and Suffolk. The one word to describe 2021. The word wins, Awful. The one word to describe 2022, according to their survey, hopeful. What about you? Number two. Something that we're watching very closely in foreign policy and national security, and that is the relationship of China and Russia getting closer together. And they've come together because they recognize they have a common objective 
in the sense that they want to undermine the United States and these democracies. Yep, Russia, Russia, Russia. That's our central focus on foreign policy. But on overall election meddling, it's overtaking over the Ukraine. They are one step closer to doing it. And the head of our intelligence uh, committee in the House, Democrat, says, yeah, I don't even know why they want to invade the Ukraine. I have to find out. I don't feel good about that. Number one. Look, there is no federal solution. Uh, this gets solved right. at a state level. I'm looking at Governor Sununu on the board here. He talks about that a lot. And it ultimately gets down to where the rubber meets the road. Exactly. Thank you so much, Mr. President. We heard about it in 2019. We're still dealing with every aspect of our lives in 2022. I'm talking about COVID-19, from the new quarantine timeline to the vax mandate court fights to the back-to-school street fights and the epic failure of the Biden administration. Americans are fed up. Why I think Americans will collectively to decide to live with the virus intelligently rather than run from it, uh, I think, emotionally. And uh, let's bring in Dr. Mark Siegel on that. Dr. Siegel, did you think we were past the point where you would drive through New York City or any suburb and see long lines for testing? Yes, I did. And you set this up beautifully because the virus is fear. The virus is hysteria. I mean, I, we get, we all get that there's a lot of the Omicron variant around, and we get that hospitalizations are going up. We get the need for vaccines. We get the idea that therapeutics are stalled disgracefully and that there are no tests. But, but the idea of people leaving their houses in the cold in the Northeast and flooding to a pharmacy and waiting online, coughing and sneezing on each other for a test that has no other purpose than to treat the fear, that's a, a incredibly dysfunctional government, isn't it? I think so. A uh, couple of things. I don't know where you stand on this, but Dr. Michelle Walensky said this. Cut three. And Dr. Walensky, other public health officials have criticized these new guidelines, saying that they should include a negative tests, that that should be necessary for someone to be able to leave that isolation period. Why is that not included in the new guideline? Yeah, really important question. I'm glad you raised this. So what we do know is that um, the PCR test after infection can be positive for up to 12 weeks. So that is not going to be helpful. So she's saying that five weeks is enough, uh, five days is enough. If you take the PCR test, the one that goes deep into your nostrils, you're going to have remnants of some type of uh, coronavirus for 12 weeks. So how are we going to stay in our house for 12 weeks? She is keeping in the back of her mind that these airlines and others are saying, i got to have my people back at work. They have no symptoms. I need, I need people to work to run our restaurants, our, our tolls, our, our airports, and our, our trains. So who's right here? By the way, you, you said that beautifully, and I'm, I keep wondering when I go on a plane, which is worse, having, having no plane flight at all and it's canceled, all of them being canceled, or just having a couple people fly in the plane? I mean, I'm not happy either way. And, and the answer is, forget the PCR, Brian. That's, that's a dodge here because the fact is it does stay positive for weeks, and we're not going to use that for a test-out strategy. The problem is that after five days, 20% is still positive, still spreading it. But if you really have three days without symptoms. You know what you need to go back to work? I like the five days. You need a rapid test. Hello? We just said at the beginning of this, there are no rapid tests, and that's what she's covering there, which is that the, which is that the Biden administration did a disgraceful job getting us the rapid tests in every home that they've been promising. Now they're finally promising 500 million tests in every home. I wouldn't hold your breath on that. How fast does the U.S. Postal Service work? How about these federal websites? So the problem she's having is 
The five-day rule makes sense to save the workforce, as you said. But we need a rapid test. We don't need a PCR. We need a rapid test, and we don't have it. So that's they've, they've put themselves in a terrible bind here all the way across right. the aisle. So let me bring you to this quote from Anthony Fauci yesterday when it comes to the rapid test. He says, I think the confusion is that the rapid antigen tests have never been as sensitive as the PCR tests. They're very good when they're given sequentially. So if you do them like maybe two or three times over a few-day period, at the end of the day, they're as good as a PCR test. So he's saying if you use a rapid test for three straight days, and I, <laughs> and if I get one negative, one positive, one negative, do I go with the negative or do I go with the positive? What does he mean sequentially? Like what are they getting at? Well, he he especially means that with Omicron, they have so little virus in your nose before it spreads that you'd have to repeat it. And Michael Min at Harvard from Harvard saying the same thing: you'd have to repeat it to know. But in you know, but nobody has any of these tests, let alone three. I just said we don't even have one, so now we have three. But but to your point, uh, if you had a positive and two negatives, you'd have to believe the positive, and then you'd go ahead and have to confirm it with a PCR, which we just said. Would, would stay positive for weeks. The point is this. The point is this. Omicron is milder. If you have it, if you're over it, if your symptoms are gone, you go back to work, the same as we do with the flu. That's the bottom line here. And and I like the, the rapid test as an icing on the cake in every home, but don't hold your breath for that with the way this administration has handled all this. There, I call it Operation Snail Speed, Brian. Operation Snail Speed. Where are the therapeutics? Where Where is the monoclonal antibodies that we were doing so well with in Florida. They're gone, and Florida is saying they're deliberately being taken away from them. Where is the new Pfizer drug that would work to decrease symptoms? None of this available. Well, the thing is, with the Pfizer drug, I understand he didn't order enough, correct? Right. So well, A, he didn't order enough, and B, and this is where President Trump got no credit where he deserves a ton, he didn't prepay. That was the advantage of having a businessman as president. I think they understood – I think Trump understood prepaying. I mean, you want Pfizer to make a ton of this. How about you give them money up front? Uh, they are making money. Yeah, right. That would, would make money. It would take away the risk because they're going to get paid anyway, and it, right. it worked out. And I think everyone we bet on except one actually came to fruition. So as I look at the numbers – we prepaid for the vaccine. That's right. We prepaid for the vaccine. We didn't prepay for the drugs. That's why we don't have the drugs. So I understand two cases over the last two weeks, cases are up 202 percent. Deaths are down 4 percent. Hospitalizations up 30 percent. If there's such mild if there's such mild symptoms with Omicron and I have not heard anything different, why are hospitalizations up? That's a great question. They're up because of breakthrough cases in people that are immunocompromised or have underlying conditions like diabetes or obesity or lung disease. And they're also up in people that aren't vaccinated. We're talking about hospitalizations. There aren't as many people in the ICU, but this is, a, this, this is not a cold. So you can get long-term problems with this. The, the good news, in quotes, is that I think that this wave is going to wane. I think over the next couple of weeks, it's going to decrease the way it did in South Africa. Africa. This isn't going to be with us well into the spring. We're going to see a cresting of the wave because of how contagious it is. It's spreading very wildly and widely and, and 
and rapidly, and that's going to ultimately burn it out. But it is leading to an increase in hospitalizations, which is concerning me. That's why we need the antibodies. That's why we need the drugs. So why are, you know, Dr. Siegel, if I told you in, in 2020 or when it became clear, I think in December of 2020, that we had this vaccine and they, the studies show that it stopped this virus by 90, 94%, a fascinating number. Why are we seeing so many breakthroughs? Why are we hearing about a third shot in Israel, a fourth shot? Why are we finding out that we need, uh, why are we uh, finding out that this might not even stop the Omicron? What is the truth there? Where where have we been misled or let down? Here's the truth. Vaccines are supposed to do two things well, decrease severity and decrease spread. This vaccine does not do decrease spread that well, especially with Omicron. The fact is that because of T cells and memory cells, the chances are that if you had the booster or if you're vaccinated, even if you didn't have the booster, if you're vaccinated, you're going to get a milder case. That's what this is useful for, the most useful for. But I think you know where I'm going with this. You don't mandate that because you, you mandate something. I don't, first of all, I don't believe in mandates, period. But if I were going to mandate anything, it would be something that decreased spread. Severity is, is the reason I'm advising people to take this. I think you're more likely to get a milder case. It's a personal decision, but I'm glad that I'm vaccinated and boosted. I think I will get a milder case if I get Omicron. That's key if you're older, if you're at high risk. But the way this was mismessaged, Brian, was it's going to stop you from spreading it. That's clearly not true when you have 500,000 cases and 70 percent of the adult population over the age of 12 is vaccinated. That, that's case closed. It didn't stop spread. Am I, le- am I less likely, am I less susceptible to spread it if I'm vaccinated as opposed to unvaccinated? So if I'm unvaccinated and you're vaccinated and I, we both get the virus, are, am, am I going to be— somebody that is going to spread the virus easier than you since you're vaccinated? That's a really good question. The answer to that is probably less days. So if you're unvaccinated, you would spread it for longer, but you can spread it in either case. Less long if you're, if you're, uh, if you're vaccinated. It decreases the intensity and the duration of spread, but, not, but you can spread it either way. So that's why I don't I mean, again, I'm not pushing mandates, believe me, but that's why they have. You know, you know what it is. They're a one trick pony right now. The Biden administration is just vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. I'm a big believer in the vaccine. But where are the therapeutics? Where is the testing? You know, they they say, well, now we're going to add rapid testing to go back to work, except they have no rapid testing. You just pointed out Fauci is saying three days that that, that 500 million tests, if we ever get it, will probably be used up in a week. So why did, did, I want you to hear what Dr. Scott Gottlieb said about kids yesterday. It kind of co- took me by uh, surprise a little bit because he says this is targeting kids. Uh, the kids are, uh, are more susceptible to that. Listen to this. Cut nine. It does appear now, based on a lot of experimental evidence that we've gotten just in the last two weeks, that this is a milder form of the coronavirus. It appears to be more of an upper airway disease and a lower airway disease. Mm -hmm. That's good for most Americans. The one group that that may be a problem for is very young kids, very young children, toddlers, who have trouble with upper airway infections. And you're, in fact, seeing more croup-like infections and bronchiolitis in New York City among children. So that could be a challenge for young kids. And we are seeing rising hospitalizations among that pediatric segment. Uh, you're still seeing patients. Uh, are you, you seeing this? I'm seeing a ton of patients. And yes, 
And he's absolutely right. And we are seeing an increase of hospitalizations in, in young kids. And he's absolutely right for the reason, which is that we're not seeing fully developed upper respiratory tracts in young kids the way you and I have. So if we get a bronchitis, we can clear it. We can cough it out. We can treat it. Uh, and we get better faster than young kids. Young kids get clogged upper airways. We're seeing an increased hospitalization rate. Some of it is not Omicron. Some of it is associated other other things. I mean, it's not all Omicron, but Omicron is causing that. And I'm concerned about it. And that's why I want to see kids vaccinated. Obviously, though, most of these hospitalizations that Gottlieb is talking about are under the age of five when you can't get vaccinated. But you did say you're concerned that the CDC seems to be bypassing its board and just doing things unilaterally, correct? In this case, we're talking about the FDA and the, the FDA. on the boosters. The, the FDA advisory committee is top notch. And I said on Fox and Friends yesterday that I talked to Paul Offit, who's the senior member, that said we need a conversation in America. We need we need. It, it, he called it beautifully an opportunity for a conversation that they were bypassed and they should never have been. Offit is a pediatric infectious disease specialist, one of the top in the United States at Penn. Why wouldn't you want him to talk about? about a booster before it gets approved because he might slow it down well if he slows it down it's going to be for the right reasons right. Brian. and and, and that's, well, that's what the you theory want. isn't it well and that, and that's what makes people nervous isn't it you, you know you don't want just one person at the fda pushing something through i mean P- peter marks is excellent but he's only one person and he's not a pediatric specialist so i'm all for that committee and it should have met Got it. Uh, Dr. Mark Siegel, thanks so much. Very interesting uh, on a, a developing virus and yet, yet two years into it. And I cannot believe how many questions we still have. But thanks well, so Brian, much. Well, Brian, you are on top of it as usual. So thank you for having me. No problem. Thank you for saying that. Back in a moment with your calls. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show 2022. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. These restrictions have done nothing to really reduce the level of these positive cases. As you said earlier, we're seeing record uh, positive cases once again. And I believe it's time that this administration focus on therapeutics, focus on treatments. And I've been pushing for that because the reality is, is that this virus is here to stay. It's various variants, various forms, uh, but we need to learn to live with it. And the best we're going to do by both vaccinating people who want to be vaccinated and making sure they have access to it, but also ensuring that we have the therapeutics and the treatment to treat people, including those positive patients that do end up getting sick, even despite having the, the vaccination. And that's why, I mean, I, I saw that. The latest poll is Joe Biden with 43% approval rating. Who are the 43%? I mean, this is part of it. It's all about performance. Forget about messaging. Forget about how anemic he looks on the world stage, what a terrible speaker he is. If you had plenty of tests and plenty of therapeutics, people would look past all that. It's about execution. Mary, listening in California. Hey, Mary. Hey, Mary, you're on. Hello. You're on, Mary. Thanks for waiting. um Oh, no problem. So uh, two things regarding um, the increase in cases we're seeing. I work in an ER in Southern California. Anyway, people are flooding the emergency room. They're at home with COVID patients and they're flooding the emergency room because they, you know, they feel like crap. And we're like, yeah, you have COVID. Go home, rest. (laughs) And if you have trouble breathing, come in. But people are just flooding just 
because they want the confirmation that they have COVID. It's crazy. But the reason I actually called is I've been working with COVID patients for two years. I did get my first set of vaccinations, Pfizer times two, have worked with COVID patients. I wear my N95 every day. I have not had COVID. Well, the hospital just sent an email out yesterday saying if we don't get a booster, we are fired as of February 1st. Now, I'll get fired, and I have no medical or religious exemption because I already got my first two. So I can't even use that reason to not get my booster. So I, I just, I'm like devastated that I'm going to lose my job. Yeah, I mean, it's that's crazy. the same thing. My, my daughter just got one from school. She can't go back to school unless she gets a booster. Really? So she's got to get a vaccine, two of them. And now she's got to get a booster to go back to school. There's no proof that the booster even helps. This is, this, we just found out about this variant a month ago. Now we've got to go mandate that 18-year-olds or uh, effective nurses and doctors got to go get this. It is nuts. And politicians are making these mandates. Uh, Marie, the only thing I can, I, I just hope that, um, I just hope that people uh, wise up and realize uh, that these courts strike this down. One word to describe 2021? What was that? One word to describe oh, 2021. Uh, doomsday. 2022? I'll be optimistic and say resurrection. Nice. Uh, back in a moment with Andrew McCarthy. We'll talk about the chances these mandates going through are being struck down. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I expect and I hope the Supreme Court recognizes that nowhere in the Constitution, that brilliant document that our, frame, our framers gifted to us, does the president, any president, Republican, Democrat, Independent, have the authority to do what the Biden administration is trying to do? And so they are essentially using this crisis, using the pandemic, to have powers that are not only not in the Constitution, but quite frankly, are unprecedented. That is the attorney general of Arizona, who wants to be a senator from Arizona, coming down and bringing the case forward to sue the federal government for pushing mandates on our country, especially uh, especially with these companies with 100 plus more uh, private company, 100 plus uh, employees uh, who are private. So you're not even you're doing it on the military. You're costing us Marines and special operators and Army personnel and Navy. You're doing it on hospital workers, and now you're doing it on private industry. The Supreme Court will hear two of these cases this week. Andrew McCarthy joins us now to tell us the chances of these mandates being struck down. Andy, welcome back. Brian, Happy New Year. Uh, Same to you. Uh, When this case plays out, is this constitutional? Well, no, it's not constitutional. I think uh, Attorney General Bornovich of Arizona is quite right about that. And I have a a column up at National Review about this very subject this morning. I, I think, uh, Brian, that Biden is headed for a defeat on both of the mandates that the court has fast-tracked and on which they'll hear argument, I think, on Friday. What are the two? One is this uh, OSHA mandate. I think that's the one that's gotten uh, that you just began to describe and that's gotten most of the attention. The other one is kind of... Um, related but a little different it's a a biden directive to the uh, department of health and human services that basically any healthcare worker who does any kind of business or has any kind of connection with uh, medicare and medicaid would be subject to a vaccine requirement as well so what you're talking about is tens of millions of private americans uh, and private american businesses 
whom the federal government would be decreeing uh, have to get vaccinated. And the issue, I I think, as as a preliminary matter, and this is one I don't think, Brian, that the Supreme Court will have to answer, there's a significant question about whether the federal government has this authority at all. But I think it'll be easier for the court to decide um, that, in this instance, Biden can't do what he tried to do, because even if arguably the federal government might have this power, it hasn't the Congress has not given the power to Biden and the statutes that he's relying on to claim that he has the power simply don't give him the power. What about how does that relate to the fact that these cities can mandate all health care workers do it and all their uh, uh, the. Uh, you know, those in corrections do it and their cops and their firefighters that that's withstand car challenges. But on the federal level, this this more than likely won't. Well, Brian, I think reading your books, I think these days you're a better scholar of early American history than I am. But um, as you know, the um, the way that our system was designed by, you know, Hamilton, Madison and the framers was that. Most of the internal affairs of the states were going to be controlled by the state government, and the federal government was going to have only a limited number of enumerated powers that affected basically things that a government has to do, a, a federal government, a central government has to do, mainly like foreign policy and that and that sort of stuff, and securing the country from foreign threats. So traditionally, the idea is that um, the states are responsible for things like uh, inoculations from infectious diseases. And the purpose of that construct is that that means that the government that's closest to the people whose lives are impacted is the one that gets to make the decisions. And if they make decisions that the people don't like, they can easily be voted out of office, which is a much better system than a kind of Washington-centric, one-size-fits-all policy. You have a lot of help. No one's really talking about it. I mean, we lost 100 plus Marines last week because they refused to get inoculated. And I think 34,000 healthcare workers uh, throughout uh, up and down New York. I met a lot of them over the weekend, or at least five of them over the weekend that are nurses willing to help out an overstressed situation, uh, but were told to go home because they didn't want to get inoculated, even though they were wearing a mask and would have submitted to a test. It's amazing the type of this really goes outside the law problem of of your expertise. But it's amazing how we're going out of our way to alienate people. Yeah, I I think, Brian, that uh, Biden has had to walk this line from the beginning, which is that the I think the energy, the passion and a lot of the money in the Democratic Party are on the hard left, the, the woke progressives. So Biden has to kind of walk this line of projecting to the country at large that he's really a moderate, but at the same time signaling uh, support for uh, the hard left of the Democratic Party. And the way that he's done the latter is to do these mandates. And then when they try to explain them to the country, they try to say, oh, look, it's all for everybody's own good. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. But in the meantime, what he's really trying to do is uh, appeal to people who are behind policies that really aren't very popular in the country. And that's the reason that Biden's approval ratings are 
you know, by some counts, they're in the 30s now, which is pretty extraordinary for a guy who's only been president for a year and should be, you know, doing much better. A couple of things. Now, tell me if this is drilling down too far, that it's not really a vaccine. Because if you got to get a vaccine and now they're asking for a third shot and it may be even a fourth shot, that is not a that's not how you characterize vaccinations traditionally. This is what Congressman Jeff Van Drew just said. Cut 15. I mean, look what we're doing to people with COVID now and the misinformation and the complicated information that's coming out. We were told so many lies. We were told if you got the shot, John, you'd be okay. Then you got, you know, you had to get a booster, then you'd be okay. We all know people who've gotten the booster, gotten the shot, and still have gotten COVID. Bottom line is this is not a real vaccine. It's still good we have it, but this is a injectable therapeutic that helps but we're a long way off for where we should be. Is there something there saying that, you know, you're telling me to do something that is not a traditional vaccine? Is there a legal argument to that? Well, you know, I think at the federal level, there's certainly a legal argument because, again, I don't think there's anything in the Constitution that would even let Congress do these mandates, let alone yeah. uh, the president. So I, I think federally speaking, yes, even if what, uh, what the congressman said were not true, this is simply not a federal responsibility. It's a state responsibility. And then you could argue in the state courts whether uh, under the circumstances the vaccine was not what it was cracked up to be and that it was, uh, uh, you know, a, a some kind of improper overpressure by the state governments to try to impose it on their citizens. But at least only at least then, Brian, it would only affect people on a state-by-state yeah. basis, and a lot of states would, would adjust their policy. The problem with a one-size-all-fits thing from Washington is that if the policy is wrong, it's imposed on everyone. Right, and I can make a decision by going to a state that doesn't have these mandates. But I will say right. it's kind of crazy. Look, I, I'm for, the, uh, I'm for uh, what Pfizer did. I'm for what uh, Johnson & Johnson did. I think we're, everybody's in the was in the right, pulling the right direction. But now... The, the precedent of a state telling me to get something that we just invented a year ago that is not what they told us it would be, which was 95 percent effective against the virus. And now we're seeing breakthrough yeah. at the breakthrough. And now they're saying get another shot, a booster shot. And I just hung up with a woman in, uh, from California who was told that if she does not get her booster shot by February 1st, she gets fired. So now we have a third shot. That or you yeah. get fired. So I'm wondering, what else are they going to make us shoot into our system in the future? Yeah, the problem with this is that medicine should never get politicized like this, right? So even before Biden came in, the Democratic line was that the the uh, the vaccinations couldn't be trusted because they were made during the Trump administration. Yeah, uh, and they were going to be untrustworthy. Then when Biden got in, they thought politically, well. This will be the thing that crushes the virus, and then Biden will get all the credit for it. So what they ended up doing was overpromising. Biden comes out and says, you know, if you get these vaccines, you won't get COVID, and you won't be able to transmit COVID. That doesn't mean the vaccines were bad. It just means that they overhyped. First they attacked them, and then they overhyped what they could do. And I think, you know, ultimately, these things are going to be looked at like flu shots in the sense that, you know, every year – they adjust the flu shot for what they think the flu is going to be that year. Nobody thinks that you get the flu shot once and it's like a vaccine and like polio, right? You never get polio. 
No one thinks that's the effect of the flu, and that may ultimately be what we end up with uh, with COVID. And you know, look, if, if if it was sold correctly, if it was if people were, if you were honest with people, what you would be saying is, look, if you take these vaccines, you drastically reduce the incidence of death, serious illness, and hospitalization. But it's not a, a magic bullet that says you're never, ever going to get COVID. What it does is it makes it a very high probability that if you contract it, you'll get minimal or no symptoms, and right. your case will be mild. And I think if you had leveled with people about that from the beginning, we'd be in a much better place now than you know being at each other's throats over something that shouldn't be political. Well, a couple of things. If you listen to their comments in July— they said, don't wear a mask. You're not going to get it. You're not going to spread it. Don't wear a mask. So they had to change that entirely because what they thought it was, it wasn't. So then right. the, and the word vaccines, no one ever says it's the flu vaccine because you got to get it every year. Number one. Right. Uh, number two is they, you don't mandate it. No one said to me, you can't work at Fox unless you get a flu shot. We go, what? What, what is that about? I mean, now they're saying you can't work, you know, you can't. Be a nurse, you you know, in New York City, unless you get a vaccine we invented a year ago that we already have basically admitted that we mischaracterized. Yeah, and uh, and what I would worry about is the the ratchet uh, that you're describing now being applied to things like masks and flu. So, for example, you're you're suddenly hearing progressives say, "Well, you know, look, um, a mask isn't a guarantee against COVID." And the vaccine's not a, va- a guarantee against COVID. But, you know, wearing one, you might be uh, wearing a mask, you have a less incidence of getting flu or you might not get yeah. a cold. So, in other words, they're now saying, you know, these other reasons, that, and this is what a lot of us were worried about all along. Absolutely. That, you know, the, that the left actually wants us in masks and, and all that jazz. And they'd love to be able to say, well, even if the vac- even if COVID isn't a problem, you should be masked up against the cold or the flu, as if you could you could eliminate all risk from life. But if you try to eliminate all risk from life, you don't have a free society. You don't have a life. Uh, remember, remember, with uh, Anthony Fauci's thought back, to, he wouldn't be shaking hands anymore. And then they says, I wouldn't doubt that we're always going to be wearing masks on planes. I mean, th- th- we've already heard this, so yeah, th- well, it's coming. Yeah, well, that's the world that they want to live in. They want to live in a world where it's, you know, top-down authoritarian control, and they know what's best for you and what's for your own good, and they're going to eliminate all risk from life, except that I, I personally I'd rather take my own chances than live in a world that I have to, comp- you know, I have to deal with the risks that they impose by the terrible mistakes that top-down regimes tend to make. And that's what I think 2022 is going to be. It's going to be... The American people taking responsibility for their own lives, whether it's to stay in or to stay out. Uh, it is going to be we're n- enough. I mean, you could not screw up this messaging uh, more uh, precipitously than we've seen. And I just think that that's what this story is going to be. Uh, if we're allowed, you know, but I think these businesses, these gyms that are just being killed are going to just stay open and stop asking for vaccine cards and I don't think the cops are going to be their police force because they've had it, too. And a lot of them have been fired or mandated into doing vaccines they didn't want to do. So good luck policing their ridiculous policies. 
But Andy, I feel like more this is I feel like more of these are two me and you just two guys ranting rather than giving public information. <laughs> well, but, uh, you know, look, we're we're a little seditious, but it sounds almost like living in a free country. Yes, that's what true. Loud to spoke and speak openly. <laughs> uh, thanks so much, Andy McCarthy. I appreciate it. So we'll look for those two Supreme Court cases which you think are going to be proved to be unconstitutional. Thank you. Uh, when we come back, I finish up uh, to find out if you're in fact need, there's a need to know more, and we'll take your calls. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Very odd situation. Antonio Brown boiled over, very upset on the sideline, took off his shoulder pads. Mike Evans, O.J. Howard trying to convince him to keep them on. Obviously, they were unable to do so. He tossed his shoulder pads, stripped off his shirt and glove, threw those into the crowd, then ran across the field while the teams were still on the field, giving the crowd a peace out sign. I've never seen anything like that. I've been affiliated with the NFL for over 30 years, and I have never seen anything like that in those 30 years. It, it's just baffling. He would have, uh, if he had three more receptions with another $333,000, uh, one other touchdown, another $333,000, uh, $333, he was about getting another million dollars over the last two games, uh, and he was asked to go into the game twice. I'm talking about Antonio Brown of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He would have had a shot of playing and winning his Super Bowl. Instead, he quits, strips off his jersey, jumps around, waves to the opposing crowd, See, this is what happens in the studio when you're not here and Eric is here. He, he tosses the headset. He rips right. off his shirt. He starts parading around the hallways, and then people start calling, asking if I can recover him. It's unbelievable. Uh, that doesn't really happen. He doesn't take his shirt off because if he did, he would only reveal a tank top. But Bruce Arian said after the game, uh, he's off the team. He was unbelievable. You know what uh, Tom Brady did? He brought him into his house, convinced the team to sign him. He gets signed him, full of incentives. He let him live with his house, live with him in the house. They've had a couple of injuries. He would have been a top receiver, top choice in the postseason. He's already 33 years old, so this is it. I hope he saved his money. Yeah, he's not. I mean, no team in the right mind has given this guy yet another shot. Next. The Green Bay Packers clinch home field advantage. Oh, yeah, it's time to find out if we need to know more. Sorry. More to know. Uh, the Packers clinch home field advantage in the NFC playoffs for the second season in a row. Third time with quarterback uh, Aaron Rodgers at the helm. Uh, they win easily yesterday. So the Packers uh, uh, have no problem with the Vikings. Uh, so they have uh, the Arizona Cardinals beat the Cowboys, but still that's the one and two seeds. The Cowboys will be after that. To me, it is the Packers to uh, the Packers and Bucks in the championship game, and that'll be a, fl- a coin flip. It's amazing, too. Aaron Rodgers started the year saying, I don't want to be on the Packers. Then he said, I'll play one more year. Then he has a year like this. So here's like the this. thing. Coin flip for who goes to the Super Bowl. What about MVP? It's going to be between Brady and Rodgers also. Next. Yeah, great point. White House's briefing capacity room is reduced amid the COVID-19 surge. Uh, there have been about uh, there's been a few cases, so they're going to knock down uh, 14 seats out of the 49. Good luck with that. Next, may the biggest celebrity house sale, home sale is going down in Beverly Hills. TMZ has learned that Adele is about to become the owner of Sylvester Stallone's awesome estate, and she's getting it for a steal. Uh, Adele is in the uh, is in the escrow for Sly's massive home, tucked away inside Beverly Park. $58 million for the property. It was listed at $80 million. Uh, Sly initially listed at $110 million. I hope he doesn't need money. It's only got nine bathrooms, six bedrooms, a gym, a sauna, a steam, an infinity pool, a cigar room, a screening room, and a custom bar. I could never live in that. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.